Are, are you ready? I'm ready. So what's the topic? Do you want to know it ahead of time, or do you want to? So that so, I, yeah. no, 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 don't, don't tell me. I'm, I'm cocky. I'm good enough that, that I can handle anything you can throw at me. Anything. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> anything, anything you can throw at me. You go right ahead. Put on your thinking hat, sir. Welcome to the intro. I'm Josh Anderson. Hey, and I'm Bob Galen. Jo- right. Josh, what's Bob. what's up? To, we have a, I think we have a pretty good one today. At least it's central. It's yeah. core. It's core to agile. It's a foundational thing. It is a foundational thing. So everyone, get ready. Get yourself a cup of coffee. Uh, smoke them if you got them. No alcohol this time. No, no. alcohol. You need to pay attention. You yes. need to be all ears. Get in the game. Uh, and we're also going to post some blog posts there. So read them afterwards. Because it's a serious topic for serious people. <laughs> yes, it is. Because we're serious people. <laughs> yes, we, yes, yes, we are. Because we are not saying that. Yes. So, what, okay. else, what else is going on in the land of the Metacast? In the land, so the biggest thing, if if you've been uh, listening to our more recent episodes or been on our blog lately, we just launched as part of the Agile Podcast Network. Is that cool? It is cool. I looked at the I looked at the uh, the URL. Yeah. I'm going to put it in my uh, newsletter. Yeah. Uh, there's other posts there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool to be part of a team. Yeah. So, so you, you nailed that. That's yeah. your, that's your brainchild. It is. Yeah. So nicely done. Yeah. Sir. It's one of those things that um, our mission with the Metacast is just help you and your team deliver better, get better at what you're doing. We know we don't have all of the answers, so we partnered. Well, I have all the answers. Bob doesn't have all the answers. Well, I want to clarify that. That's true. <laughs> I've been I've been like a leech on his back for the for the last seven years or oh, something, no. right? Like I, I'm a parasitic partner. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was not the, that was not a probably a good path of discussion. There is bringing a parasite with myself. So yeah, no. Yeah. So okay. So back back, back to, to business. Back to business. We partnered with other podcasts that are like minded that think like we do. Publish talk about the important things, the hard things. Yeah. Again, just to try and give you yet another set of resources is to get better. So that's what it's all about. So listen to our partner podcast, listen to us, share, do whatever you can. Give us feedback, rate yeah. us, uh, like us, dislike us, send comments, and you always hear that. Send topics in. We want you to challenge us. Uh, we're not know-it-alls, but we have a lot of information. So I, I want to put, I want to like throw the gauntlet down oh, out there. And I want you to challenge us. Uh, give us some of your hard problems. Give us some of your the things that you're really struggling with. That uh, big, hairy thing that you never were able to figure out. And then and then stump. It's like stump the chumps. See what you can do, all right? I wonder if there's like a prize or something we could get. I don't know. I don't, maybe it's just the joy of stumping us. Yeah. But it's not that hard to do. So, But we'll see. <laughs> stump us. You can't back off on I know. it like that. No, no, I, no. That was a wimpy. That come was, on, No, man. come on. Bring it on, everyone. Gosh. Bring our hard cha- Because there's hard challenges out in the real yes. world of agility. Anything else we want to talk yep. about before? Well, then let's get into let's ship it. Yeah, let's get into the podcast. Hey, everyone, strap them on and pay attention. Hi, welcome to the Metacast. I'm Bob Galen, and I'm Josh Anderson. Hey, take two, ladies and lassies, <laughs> boys and girls, uh, youngins and oldins. We have a topic today. What do we? 
So I'm just dominating the conversation. That's okay. You're allowed to. What are we going to talk about, Josh? We're talk about backlogs, Bob. Backlogs. Backlogs. Front logs. Side logs. Just backlogs. Just logs. Log just, cabins. I do like a log cabin. Do you? Yeah. I love log cabins. Yeah. That's I, one of those things I always want, but I don't think I'll ever actually I probably, buy. I probably won't. My grandpa had a cabin in the woods, yeah. and I grew up in that cabin. You know the other cool thing about it? Hmm. He had 22s. <laughs> so he had... Size 22 shoes? No, no, or, no, no. 22 like rifles. the guns? The guns. So we and had, he let you... <laughs> he let me. He let me shoot stuff as a little whippersnapper, like a six, seven, eight-year-old. Would you do that with your kids and your boys? I am not a gun guy, right? So that's not like I didn't grow up around them. My family's not hunters, so it's yeah. not it's not a comfortable thing for me. Oh, um, I so would, yeah. yeah, I would never. It was not in retrospect. It was probably not the best idea. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm like an ex, you know experimenter, so so I'm like shoot, <laughs> I'm like shooting things that shouldn't be shootable. <laughs> Right. I, I, I'm the consummate experimenter. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember. And there was a creek. So we had targets across a creek. So the cabin was right on this creek. Nice. Oh, it was, it was gorgeous. It was trout stream. Uh, and But it, it had all this target, like a range across. And we'd sit on the porch, you know, and he'd drink beer and the kids would shoot, <laughs> shoot 22. Uh, the beauty of the 1920s. Does that explain something to you, Josh? Does that give you some insights into it? Yes, it does. Where where was this? This was in Pennsylvania. Where in Pennsylvania? In in Ephrata, outside of Ephrata, Pennsylvania. Okay. So it was there was some woods there. It was okay. it was a really nice. It wasn't like in the mountains. It was in a nice. He had some uh, ponds and stuff. So a little bit of pond action, a little bit of stream action. Yeah. So did you just drive by my 1920s? Reference? Yeah, I just ignored it. <laughs> I was very proud of that. I know you were. <laughs> you I received no. I heard it. <laughs> I didn't blink an eye. I know. I, too, that hurts. <laughs> I heard it. I know. Yeah, I just rode the horse out there, and then I, you know, I had the rifle, the, the rifle right in the saddle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So backlogs. Backlogs, yeah. Man, how do we go? Cabins. Log cabins. cabins. Log cabins. You, you went crazy with logs. I went crazy did with... Did you have Lincoln logs when you were a kid? I did not have... Did you? Yeah. Ah, uh, that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. So we'll we're, go with it, yeah. we're going to talk about some of the patterns, anti-patterns. We'll probably stay towards goodness over badness yeah. Yeah. Uh, of what, you know, like backlog management and backlog, uh, you know, activity. Yeah, that... The premise of this discussion is, I feel like, and I'm guilty of it myself, that people and coaches often say a true indicator of maturity for an Agile team is the quality of the backlog. But I feel like there's not enough due paid to defining what a quality backlog is. I know you're writing a book. I know you're super passionate about that. So we're not going to have any so lack of so let's share, stuff share, to talk about. Yeah, we'll share that. I agree with that comment. I mean, I get people, because I've written the product owner book, it, it comes and it goes. But it's not uncommon for someone to email me like, I don't even know them. They're just right. connected to me on LinkedIn, and they're having some trouble, and they'll send me their backlog. And they're like, Bob, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and I'm like, sir, I have not a freaking clue. Right. Right? I mean, literally stories, Josh. Literally mm -hmm. stories and acceptance criteria. But in all seriousness, I sometimes will take a look. And I don't necessarily read the stories, but I look for patterns. Mm -hmm. Like spikes is something I look. So I look for, you know, are they spiking, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, and you know what I mean? Like a user, like a research spike. Right. 
and uh, and I, I may see if it's new technology for them or a new design. Like if they're doing UX, another thing you could do is if you see design stories, if you see them backloaded versus frontloaded. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at a backlog, I think you can tell a lot of like QA activities that are there or gone. Uh, UX, where are they doing design? What types of design are they doing? If they have multiple backlogs across teams, you can see if they're managing dependencies or not. It's not that you're in the weeds. It's just you can kind of get a sense for you can ask questions, right, and help them a little bit. Right. I think that's the that's what you really bring to the table is that experience, and you can instantly smell a backlog that's bad. You can see it, you can recognize it, but I don't think a lot of people have had the opportunity to refine that skill to really know what a great one looks like. No, no. I mean, and, and there's not. It's it's not like there's any magic. Uh, I mean, some people, you know, some of the stuff, what I think might not be bad, might be bad, might not be bad in a certain context. So I try not to overreact. Right. Uh, story size is something that I look for. Mm-hmm. Like I look for, I look for curves in stories, like little bell curves. If I, this is not, this is going to sound weird. I've written a blog post about it. I call them anchor stories. So I have this view that um, every sprint, let's say you have 25 points, let's say on average that you have that, that a team has 25 points of velocity, mm-hmm. then I'll look in their backlog and I'll look at the sizes and I'm like, do they have an anchor? So if, I'll look for chunks of 25 points and then I'll say, well, what's the theme? Mm-hmm. What's the major theme? And I'll look for a large story that is associated with that theme. Do you know what I'm so, yeah. so I'm sort of looking for a little bell curve. So you're saying that you want a bell curve inside. So like if I were to plot the sizes of my stories, yeah, it should a, be a bell a curve? In a sprint, there should be a sort of a curve. In a sprint or across the backlog itself? No, well, it would have multiple little bell curves. Right. So in a release, in a four-sprint release, I would have the view of, let's, let's run something and I want to see how you react to it. I may have said this on a Medicast before. Uh, let's say the team has 25 points of capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would have an executable story size of 13. So they could squeeze, you could say, they could squeeze 13s into a two-week sprint. They can't squeeze 20s. Mm-hmm. So I would say, ah, eight to th- so an eight-point story or a 13-point story would be the anchor. And then you would that would be the theme. So I would look for where are your themes, where are your anchors. That would be equivalent to your demo, your mm-hmm. sprint demo. Uh, the majority of your work would be focused on that. And so that would be sort of the majority of the sprint. Then I would look for you filling around that. I hope I'm making sense. Like, yeah, no, you, you've, you've talked about boulders and rocks and pebbles and packing a so, sprint. So that's right? what I would be looking I would be looking for those things. I mean, you should be able to see that mm-hmm. if someone's doing it. You should be able to see that in sort of that curve, that pattern, that little pattern right. on a sprint-by-sprint basis in the, in the backlog. Uh, a counterpoint to that would be there's no pattern like that. So it's they have 25 one-point stories. Yeah. Right? And and then I would ask the counter question of what are you going to – what's your theme? Mm-hmm. What's, what are you going to demo? Is it a cohesive demo, yeah. et cetera? So react to that. You like that idea? Don't like that I idea? I get it. I mean I, I've never thought about taking the holistic view across the backlog and plotting them and seeing that. But it – Teams naturally get to an understanding of what a reasonably sized story is, of what they consume and deliver upon. So it just kind of logically makes sense, right? You're going to have most yep. that are in yep. the middle and some small end and some on the so, high end. So I'm not saying it for the team. I mean, the team is going to weigh in on the estimates. Yeah. That guidance is more for the, the product owner. I'm for planning a sprint? I'm, I'm yeah. like to have an impact, to have a wow at the end. So, so if you have 25 one-point stories versus you have an anchor story and supporting material, what's going to be the better 
uh, demo. Yeah. I think what's going to be the, the more thematic is the team going to be focused on a functional result versus just getting these little pieces of stuff done? Mm-hmm. So I think there's focus. I think there's impact. I think there's a you know a better, more powerful demo. Uh, that's it's less about the team. I think that's the that's the product owner conducting. If they're conducting the backlog properly, mm-hmm. they might be conducting those curves or looking for those things. So I appreciate you doing the conducting hands while you said that. Did you notice that? Like, I wish I wish Metacasters could have seen that. Bob was conducting when he said conducting. Well, let me hit the little stick on it. <laughs> right? Order, Josh. Get, <laughs> it, was, it was beautiful. It wasn't it? I, <laughs> That's I, why we need video. We do. We I'm going to figure that out. We do need video. I'm going to figure that out. So, so it's not, It's. I mean, the team benefits from it from a thematic point of view. Testers would benefit from it because they're testing. They're not testing in a fragmented way. They're testing in a focused way. So I think it has a lot of benefits mm-hmm. to each, you know, different, you know, focus or function in the team. Uh, but I would, I would expect the product owners to do that. Yeah. So size. Size. So yeah. I, I alluded to size there. So what are your favorite, what are your size dynamics? And you've mentioned the fog before. The fog. So, so talk to me about. Ones and thirteens. I just threw things out there. Not so much bell curves. But. Yeah, we we we've centered in on over time as we've iterated and learned and just repeated. Right, we've found that a thirteen point story is too big for us for a sprint. So um, there's lots of questions that come up, like how do I pick the numbers to sizing the Fibonacci sequence, whatever. Just just pick a set of numbers and so start sizing. So a 13 sizing. does or does not fit? A 13 gets broken down for us. A 13 gets kicked out of a sprint planning session. of, And even in refinement, right, if we size someone as a 13, that's our signal that, hey, it's too big. So it doesn't easily fit or it never fits. <clears throat> we've we've tried and failed repeatedly. So we're just not going to go there again. So that's your boundary. Yeah. So that's your that's your executable story boundary. Yep. So eights and below fit. Eights and below are good, and eights even teams get squirrely about eights. Well, you can so, break them down. But, yeah, but you know that danger will Robinson. Yeah, 13 once we get to thirteen, sirens go off, bad things happen, and we as a team break things down. Okay, um, eights are at that top end. So I think if you look at the bell curve, most of our sprints will be um, twos, threes, and fives with ones and eights kind of sprinkled in. But that's that's exactly what I'm right. talking yeah, yeah. about, right? Mm-hmm. Is sort of it's not a magical curve, but it's exactly the thing is have a theme. Yeah. Uh, when I tell a product owner, one of the nice things about it is product owners get really sort of I don't know out of control when they're thinking of how do I plan a release, and let's say the release is the release sequence is four sprints. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all you need is four anchors. Or all you need is four eights. So start the world with what are your four eights that you're going to feed the team and how you're going to interleave them together to have a release. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? And, yeah. and then build and then build your stories around around those anchors, etc. So and and then and help that helps them manage expectations externally. So if the CEO comes down and says, I want twenty eight anchors, it's like, dude, you're not gonna you right. know it's it's not even sprint arithmetic or, or point arithmetic. It's just we just it's it's too it's gonna dilute us. Yeah. Even if we could, it's probably too much stuff and it's gonna dilute our attention. I interrupted you. Back to your the fog. How do you what does breaking things down look like to you? Like what is that sort of what is that cycle of taking big stories? you know, the grooming stuff, Mm -hmm. what is your look ahead for that? Yeah. So the analogy that we always use is the fog as you are in fog in reality, right? The stuff that's closer to you, you have clarity, 
you know what it is, you know what it is. You might not know everything about it, but you can tell, hey, that's a that's a shoebox. The further deeper in that fog, you know stuff's out there. You have the general idea of size and shape and what it is. But as you move towards that item, as you step into the fog, things begin to clarify. Now, the thing is, you have to do the work. It's not like reality where you just step deeper in and you just see more. Right. It's you have to clear the fog yourself. So we start with epics. So we do epics, small, medium, large epics. We plan those at a quarter. Again, we have a top end. We know what we can do in a quarter, and that's a large. So if we size an epic that's bigger than a large, we have to make it smaller. We are not allowed to use an extra large or a double extra large. If we do that, then that's something we say, okay, next time we come back and do this, we're going to break this down. We're going to break that into three. So you have a view to quarterly quarterly level planning, which Mm -hmm. is T-shirt sizing. T-shirt sizing. And then you have an executable epic size of, what did you say, large Right, so largest fit, mm-hmm. extra largest, and up don't. So it's that same, and it's that same view, sort of up a level. Yep. So you're planning your releases at that level. Yes. And then you have it, and then when you bring it into the team, so is mm-hmm. that is that st- as the look ahead starts, as those things start breaking down, if it's a conveyor belt, right? As they get into the team, then you have another range of right. eight point stories and below fit. Right, and so what happens is, as those epics come into the purview of the squads they start to break them down into stories. So just like the the you talked before I realized I screwed up the recording, that there's a conveyor belt of rocks that are coming out of a quarry, and they start as giant boulders, and then they get smashed into something a little bit smaller. Yep. And then they go a little bit further down, down that belt, they get smashed into little pebbles. They go a little bit further down, they get smashed into sand. So that same thing happens. They start as this, this big epic, and then they make it in the team's view, in refinement, and they break it into smaller stories. When, when do the teams get involved? Uh, so the, are they involved in that epic, that re, that quarterly decomposition at all? We have a couple people that try and represent that, but there's there's a lot of churn there that we don't want to distract the whole team to do that. So, so. like architects would get involved yeah. in that, or team leads, or yep. you, or something. Yep. Right, okay, all yeah. right. And then when a quarter, when you're staging a quarter roughly, when it's a real quarter and you have a sense for... This is committed stuff, and then the team starts breaking into the breaking those rocks. Right. Down. So, from us to go from the boulders of the epics to rocks, we have our um, PSI planning session where every month we project out the next six sprints. So that's when those epics come in. They see them for the first time, and they bust those epics into smaller stories. And those usually come in at the end, right? So they're six sprints out. It's the first time they've seen them. So okay, we're going to bust this out. We think it's like these three are five or ten stories. They put them up there, say we think this is sprint five and sprint six. We put them out there. We know it's pretty foggy. We know we just busted it out. We're not completely sure. But as we move down that cadence, we've seen it more. We potentially refined some of those stories, and we spent more time in the refinement sessions really digging into those. Okay, it's actually six stories instead of five. Or that's kind of redundant. Maybe it's just four. And then we start to size them. We have better clarity. So we've stepped into that fog. We've started to clear it through refinement and the process we go along with that, that then that's when it becomes the pebbles, and now we're starting to plan for real, and that's in the next couple of sprints, and then it becomes a sprint plan, and then we should. So that it. sounds like you have, like you have three phases. We you do. have a quarterly phase. You have a PSPI-ish phase that starts getting the team involved as mm-hmm. well. But then, and all of, all of these could be defined grooming, right? If, if yeah. grooming is the act of breaking the rocks down, then, then all of them are sort of grooming or refinement activities. Yeah, so the model that we take is that we've found real success in doing scrum and refinement of the backlog. Right. 
So we just do it at each of those levels. So we have a clear answer of how we're going to refine the pebbles. So if we say the pebbles are the stories that we're going to put in a sprint, right, we have a clear way to refine those. Then those like feature level things that we talked about, those are, those are the rocks. So we yeah. have a pattern to refine those. Yeah. So we do the same thing we do. We just do scrum again. We do on a cadence. We do it every so often. Um, and then the epics, again, at the view of the quarter level, we do the same thing. Those are just bigger things. But the, upper, we do the same thing. but the upper two are cyclical, and I think the lower one is sort of it's cyclical as well, but it's sprintly, right? It's it's, it's tradi- just a different cadence. But it's diff- it's traditional, what I would call traditional refinement. Mm-hmm. The team has meetings that happen every sprint, and they break things. We down. do the same things yeah. with the other levels, right? We have okay. regular meetings that are planned every okay. month. It's there. It's on the calendar. It's known. Okay, so so it's just different to your point, different cadences. Yeah, it's just refining a backlog. Okay, we just do it over and over again. So you have that three cycle. I mean, in all of that, that's that's a lot of investment. In it comes back to what are good practices for bad lo- back for backlogs and, or bad good or yeah. bad. The metacasters, this is a good practice. I mean, Josh is spending and the teams here are spending a lot of time planning what I would call planning activity, right? And it's because you need that look ahead. You need the team level engagement. Yeah, to me, it's the appropriate level of discovery, right? So we don't have um, that just in time planning of oh crap, it's sprint planning. We got to do. We don't have. Exactly. We don't have stories. We're fine. We got to talk about them really fast. And we talk about them really fast. You don't do a good job. You don't have the discussions you need to right. to have to really discover what the work really is. So break it up into smaller pieces. Do it in smaller chunks. Don't overwhelm yourself with holy crap. We got to figure out how to do this all at once. You know, you do it on a regular basis. It's just, it's like eating an elephant, right? You got to take little bites, little bites, little bites. The other thing I look for in a backlog, and it's you're you're sort of emerging it too, is I look for different types of stories and different percentages. But there's no magic percentage. So, for example, I look for spikes. I look for stories that might allude to QA stuff. I look for stories that might say automation. Uh, so investment, mm-hmm. uh, I look for in a backlog of 100 stories, is there any refactoring? Is there any bug fixing? So I'm trying to smell mix. I'm trying to smell, you know, like to me, a good dinner has, you know, it has vegetables. It has proteins. Mm-hmm. It has dessert maybe. So is is the backlog, uh, I sometimes use the term featureitis, mm-hmm. which is all that's on a backlog is you know, the product owner's requests. Right. Is it suffering from featureitis or is it much more balanced than that? Um, there's no, you know, sometimes I use the term 80-20 or 75-25 to indicate, you know, features versus other stuff. Mm-hmm. Just to just to say, just to create space for the other stuff. But I don't think that there's a magic number. It's really, are you starving the back? So is the backlog starving other things? Right. Uh, so I think I think sort of balance is a healthy backlog versus feature itis to me is you could do it for a sprint or two mm-hmm. and it's probably not unhealthy. Let's say you were a startup and you were trying to get some features yeah. out the door. But if you do a year's worth of feature itis and that's all your investment, yeah. I, I think that's a little unhealthy. Yeah, we have the same percentages and we never try and apply it directly to a single sprint. So over a quarter, do we have something that looks balanced or not? Yeah. Right? Because if you try and manage in every sprint, you're just gonna drive yourself crazy but have an overarching view of we want to be 70 30 yeah and every quarter just take a look back did we hit 70 30 or whenever you do your planning at that next level up take a look back take a step back squint and just look at so we actually use different colored stickies features are pink i like tech tech stuff is green or yellow right so you can just kind of squint 
you're not seeing it, but you see in general there's this much pink and this much yellow, and you know, okay, you're doing a good job. I, I like the color coding thing if you're maintaining. I mean, again, you can have a tool behind the scenes, but if you're maintaining, like, paper stories and stuff, mm-hmm. it's a great way to see t- types of stories and things, and you can just visually get a sense for balance. Right. Uh, I, I like the, all of that sort of stuff. All right, so you asked me about a look ahead and how far yep. that is and what that means to us. The the mental target that I've always had is three is three sprints, that I view a healthy backlog has well-refined stories in it for enough to plan out three sprints. Okay. However, So if it's 25 points in the current sprint that you're in plus 75 points worth of stuff out there that you've refined and is ready to go if you had to do it. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I have different... So let's talk about what would be terrible look ahead. Uh, I have I encounter lots of folks who they let's say the sprint ends on Friday and the new sprint starts on Monday. Around Thursday, they they call a grooming meeting. Uh, the product owner brings in a brand new set of stories to the team. The team's never seen them before. Mm-hmm. They frantically try to break them down for Monday morning. Uh, they fail. The stories suck. Uh, they they do a little bit of refinement. They go into sprint planning. Sprint planning is ugly. It's really a refinement session rather than a planning session. Right. But since it's planning, they have to commit to the sprint. Mm-hmm. So they commit to the sprint, not knowing exactly in a lot of cases what they're committing to, and then they fail. So that, to me, is probably terrible look ahead. Right. right? That team needs to do more refinement. Right. So if you're doing refinement in your planning session, it's broke. Yeah. I mean, one one thing I like to do as a coach, and people look at me like I'm high, is I'll cancel planning. And I'm like, this is not planning. It, we're, we're going to – literally, I'll pull the plug on the meeting visually and say, we're, we're going to switch from. Yeah. We can't – we're yeah. not – you're not ready. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not ready for planning. Yeah. So stop. Stop pretending. And let's go – let's revert to a backlog refinement session. Yep. And I just like making that switch because it's different. Although they're similar activities – I want the mindset to be, no, no, we're not planning the sprint. Mm-hmm. We're, we're just trying to understand the stories. Yes. Uh, so, and if it takes us two days to refine stories, to get enough stories that we can plan the sprint, mm-hmm. then, then we're going we're gonna to refine our butts off. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's not my preferred state, but we're going to refine it, and the team would learn that way. Uh, let's talk about excessive look ahead. Um, I, in the book I'm working on, I'm editing um, a new edition of my book, uh, I have a story in there about Sally, and Sally proudly came to me at one company once, and her and her team, she was a product owner, and she had like 25 sprints grouped. Mm. Uh, so a year. So get in points. So if you did the point arithmetic, she and her team were just, they, they rocked, right? They had a year's worth of stories in the bag, and they weren't stopping. Uh, and I pulled her aside, and she was very energetic. And I was like, I didn't want to burst her bubble, but I'm like, stop it, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're, you know, you're doing, you're grooming so far ahead that change is going to hit you. I said, right. we can't even plan, like in that company, we barely planned two releases, mm-hmm. and she was like out four or five releases. So that was excessive look ahead, uh, hard in the right place, uh, took a lot of time from the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think look ahead is related to your release cadence. So in your case, three sprints probably works for you. I could see some organizations where two sprints might work, mm-hmm. uh, some where four or five, but you don't want to do less than one, right. and you don't want to do, what, 10 plus right. or something like yeah. that. And I think don't, don't, don't get comfortable with one, right? I see a lot of people 
treading water, swimming really hard With to one. tread water yeah. to get to that one. That, that's that's not a good state. Maybe schedule an extra refinement for a couple of sprints until you get to where your steady state is two is two sprints. Then take a breather. Then do it again and get to three sprints and do that. And, and it's really context-based. Your release tempo is a strong sort of contributor to how far your look-ahead should be. So if your release cadence is four sprints, you probably want to be looking ahead three to four sprints. If you're doing really technical work and you're finding that work is blowing up in your face, that you should have spiked, but you're not spiking enough. So let's say 50% of your work, Josh, you, you when you first joined the dude, a lot of your work was framework work. Mm-hmm. A lot of your work was sort of investigative right. and design work and, th- and very hard to predict. Mm-hmm. Well, your look ahead there might be longer because right. it's like, crap, where are my spikes? Right. right. And you need to plan. You need to plan ahead to look at the interrelationship between the framework components and stuff. Yeah, the thing that I really value is iteration on the problem, right? So we talk in Scrum about you iterate on the product, you iterate on the backlog, you you do things multiple times in smaller chunks. You have to do the same thing with hard problems. So a lot of the things that hit that that hit teams of we need you to build this. If they knew how to build it, they'd already done it. Yeah. Right. So you're. It's a new problem. It's a harder problem. It's something you haven't done before. And the more time you spend seeing it, thinking about it, having it yep. in the back of your mind, kind of churning, that's when the real great solutions come up. But if you get it last minute and you're in a rush to figure it out, you're in a rush to build the stories, you're in a rush to get it planned. You're going to get a so-so product, and maybe you'll nail it, maybe you won't, but if you, on a consistent basis, start gnawing on those harder problems, you're going to be more successful. Well, it's, it's the innovation. It's the creativity, yeah. right? It's that iterative. I mean, when you're under the gun, you're going to execute it the way you've always done, at right. best, and, and even then you're going to make mistakes because you're rushing. Right. So you're trying to create that space for sort of learning the best way to do something in the easiest way or the less time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that takes, not sometimes, that often takes iterations. Uh, what else in the backlog? What, what, what do you think? So we talked about story size from an esti- estimation perspective, but I know stories themselves, right? It shouldn't be a, shouldn't be a novel, right? It shouldn't be a couple lines. So short. I, lately I've been talking a lot about the extreme programming. I've been reminding people that in XP, the early stories were three by five cards, right. not four by six, not five by eight, <laughs> not not right. flip chart paper. They were three by five cards. One of the drivers, so on the front of the story was the story, as AI wants of that. On the back was the acceptance criteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you and and a lot of times people would give you like mar- markers, like heavy handed markers. If you think about it, that's you you have very right, little yeah. real estate yeah. to write things down. That's the level. That was the level of the stories, and it increased the conversation. So you want you want sort of that ambiguous, not all defined, short and sweet, with acceptance criteria, the solid stories. But but they're not they're not traditional requirements. I think I I, I think that works really well in a backlog. If someone gets if if an organization rocks sort of the balance of of writing just enough. Mm-hmm. And, and keeping it short. So lightweight words, heavyweight conversation. Yeah, I mean, that to me, that's the one thing that when you came in and did some coaching with our product owners, it really stuck, is that a story is a promise to have a conversation, right? If you have everything out there, there is no conversation. People no. will lightly consume it. But if you get the, con- the conversation going, the wheels turn, ideas are generated, sparks oh, fly. But engagement, happens, right? I mean, yeah. you get shared ownership. Right. Instead of it's like, oh, it's the plan for a house. Here, go build it. 
okay, I'll build exactly what you asked for. You get this sort of skin in the game across right. the team, which which is incredibly powerful. And in some cases, you get what you need to get. And in some cases, the team will challenge you, and you'll get a better solution mm-hmm. or a better feature, et cetera. But if it's completely defined, you won't you won't even have that conversation. Right. Right. You'll just you'll get what you asked for. And we all know that that doesn't always work. So right. I, th- I think that's the story side. What else? I'm trying to think of other things. Bugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember once a client uh, was using Jira, and they were using Jira as a defect tracking tool in Waterfall, and then suddenly they went agile, and they're like, oh, we're going to use Jira and stories. Well, so they converted, so they had this magical conversion of all of their bugs became stories. <laughs> Does that make sense? It yeah. sort of makes sense, right, on, a, on an item-by-item item basis. So they so they had like I don't know seven thousand eight thousand bugs. Mm-hmm. They were they were trying to compete in the marketplace with bugs, I guess. Um, and and immediately before they even wrote stories, so a lot of the teams had it was it was a larger organization. So by the time the bugs sort of trickled into each team that owned them, some of the teams their backlog had one hundred, two hundred, three hundred bugs in in the team's backlog, mm-hmm. and and then counting. Uh, would you good bad? How would how do you recommend handling bugs, or uh, or things outside of features? Small things, small. I, I mean, I think of bugs as being relatively discreet, or or relatively tightly sized, right? Small. Yeah, I mean, we there's been all kinds of debate around do you size bugs, and we've always said that the effort it takes to size the bug by the time you've figured out how big it is you know how to solve it because you have to figure out what you have to do to solve it yeah to figure out how big it is so that's sort of where my head goes we've never seen value in sizing a bug so how many bugs are in your backlogs i mean if you were to look right now just is it a big percentage a small percentage a moderate percentage right so if you go across all of our products which we have about 30 um, we have 100 bugs across 30 products. So total bug count is 100 right now. Across 30 products, yeah. So you're you're taking the fix them now. I mean, you can clearly tell that you're it's like putting a priority on fix it now versus defer it to, mm-hmm. the, defer it to the backlog. Yeah, no, we don't have thousands in one product or anything a, a, like that. Or yeah. anything like that. Okay. So keep them together. I, I like to actually uh, sort of combine bugs into like, like packages or something. So if yeah. like a story that represents multiple bugs, if you can rather than having small, discrete things. It's not even just a bug point. It goes back to, I think, a backlog of hundreds and hundreds of one-point stories is dilutional. Right. right? It's it's just it's so, too finely grained. So what we do, and this has really helped us keep our bug numbers where they are, is when you go and work on a feature, go and find the bugs that are associated with that. Right? So if you're going to work in this area, go and find the bugs that are there, so you only go into the code once. You do that, and, and then you can package that as a story. So that helps the testers yeah. as well, because now while they're testing the functionality, they can be regression testing right. bug fixes and things like that. So it's more efficient. Right. So if you're going to work on a bug, see if there are other bugs that are like it that can get packaged. Or if you're working on a story or a feature or something, find the bugs related to that section and go knock them out for a myriad of reasons. Right. So I think for this medication, I think we've surrounded some things. What what I'm going to do is I'll I'll post um, well, I don't know if it's, it's probably good news but I have I don't know at least five blog posts related to stuff like this like healthy backlogs unhealthy mm-hmm. backlogs smells I have a little dog picture you know with a big nose like not, a hound dog not, not shocking yeah that talks about the smells of backlogs and stuff 
uh, so to serve as an, uh, an adjunct to this, I'll, I'll, we can throw those posts into the Metacast. Okay, cool. So what do you think? Do you stick a fork in it? Ship it. All right. So from beautiful downtown. So hopefully, before we go, hopefully we helped with your backlogs. We, we rushed a little bit. We had a little bit of a mistake in the beginning. Don't take our conversation and say, oh, it's, it's trivial. Backlog management, backlog seriousness, backlog investment is probably the, one of the most important things you can do. In aside your from assembling a team, aside from assembling a good team, the health of your backlog directly correlates to your success. To all kinds of stuff. I, I mean, it, it requires care and feeding and attention and reading and adjustments and, and experimentation. So please stick your nose in your backlogs. And if they come up smelling a little bit, then start working on them. The other thing is, tactically, there's a lot of stuff that you can do, and you can get immediate feedback uh, on it. So it's not rocket science. There's a lot of techniques out that you'll see in the blog post that work pretty effectively. So take a look. Take your backlog seriously. Mm-hmm. From beautiful downtown, Cary, North Carolina, I'm Bob Gamble. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And big. Take care, y'all.